0: If you don't understand the lie and the purpose, the reason why they are constructing this lie, you are going to be led directly into the wrong, fake, phony solution that they're pushing you, they're pushing society into. That's the point of this. And people who want a convenient lie, uh, that, that really annoys me.
1: You're listening to The Corbett Report.
0: So,
2: James, I just, per per the conversation, because I know we're limited on time, and we could go, like, several hours with this. What's up, Pat? I wanted Hold to somewhat follow. I just don't want to jump right into the climate change, because, like, per your videos, it really started with these old fuckers and the whole eugenic stuff, and then they had to change the nomenclature, and then that moved, obviously, into more East Strong, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that background, the foundation is crucial <laughs> to how they, you know, changed that language, and then now doing this whole completely carbon, post-carbon, and hundreds of trillions of dollars, and now it's really changing the game. So, just to throw that out there.
3: Yeah, is that where you want to... Do you guys want to start with that, or...?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, the, I mean, obviously the conversation's climate change, but I, like I said, I think that kind of foundation that was laid before they changed the name and all that was eugenics, and these guys, you know, uh, Rockefeller III, et cetera, et cetera, you know, moving into these different umbrella organizations, whether it's the IPCC, UN, et cetera, et cetera, but this all was under the auspices of basically eugenics, and then they changed the language for the purpose of sustainable development and controlling resources and telling us to only have one and a half kid or whatever it is.
3: Yeah, we could expand on that because I think people who might be familiar with eugenics and might be familiar with climate change might not know where where's the relation. Where they? Well, connect. that's
2: what James going to kind of bridge that gap. But I'm just saying, since we don't have as much time as probably we would like, I'm just I just want to make sure we hit those those particular follow it kind of chron- chronologically.
1: How much time would you like?
2: We only got like f- about 50 minutes, 45 minutes with James. He's got a hard out.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. So I like, I like, uh, how you blurred out the background. I've done that with my, <laughs> it actually looks pretty cool.
2: That's what I was just telling them about you because if they want to hit you, they got, you know, I'm going to be in Sioux Falls, at 426, Vail, Colorado, 53. <laughs> <5-3. laughs> <laughs> All right. Ready to go. <clears throat>
3: So James, do you want do you want to talk? I, you knowing so much, James, is almost a gift and a curse because we always go to you for guidance. It's always like, hey James, want to expand on this because we're going to do a shitty job doing it, and you're going to do the best. Uh, you know, give it the the best. Uh, to,
0: I guess you know, get we fill in the gaps. We fill in the gaps. Yeah, it is a curse because I've got this much information and <laughs> trying to squeeze it out of this mouth hole in a yeah. logical uh, way is extremely difficult. So. The first thing I'll do is just recommend people, if you haven't yet, please go to corporatereport.com slash big oil. That is my how and why Big Oil conquered the world documentaries, which is the big, big, big overview picture. It's one of the most important things I've ever done. So if you haven't watched it yet or listened to it yet or read it yet, shame on you. It's 100% for free. And it represents essentially a decade of research, um, trying to distill it into a narrative that I hope makes sense. But yes, this narrative takes us essentially from the 19th century and the development of the oil industry into the current day and age of climate change hysteria into the future of technocracy and these are all related items and there's some very extremely important historical linkages that we can paint between this and uh so one of them is the concept of eugenics, which for people who don't know, late 19th century, basically the British gentleman scientists of the time decided that, you know what, I think we are the natural rulers of the world because our genetics make us that way. And genetics was, well, gene had not quite been uh, discovered by that point, but the uh, the principle of hereditary uh, traits being passed on was starting to be developed by Mendel and others looking at peapods. And they said, well, peapods, humans it's the same thing. And and yeah, genetic traits, well, that must include the fact that poor people tend to have poor children. Why? Because they have bad genes, of course. And rich people have rich children because we have the superior genes and we're designed to rule over you. So this was a mindset that uh, that took off in the late 19th century, developed in the early 20th century. It started in England. It moved over to America in the early 20th century, Um, uh, Charles Davenport and people like this were propounding it, and it became exceptionally popular. It was the rock star super science of the early 20th century in a way that we can't fathom unless we put it into the current 21st century context. Basically, it was the climate change science of the early 20th century, everyone who was anyone and had to at least mouth the words, oh, eugenics, oh, we must be concerned about these poor people breeding too much, and how do we get the, the best people to breed together, the rich? Um, that was the concern of everyone who was anyone at that time. And that uh, was, as I show in the Big Oil documentary, it it was fostered and inculcated and propounded By the oligarchs who had consolidated so much power in the 19th century because, hey, they were at the top of the heap at this point. So, hey, yeah, it's because we have great genes or whatever. It was their self-justification in a scientific age for what in a previous age would have been the divine right of kings or whatever. God made us into rulers of the world. Um,
1: now it's the Kardashians and the Jenners.
0: Yeah, well, those are the uh, that that's the puppets that are thrown out on the stage for people to gawk over and oh look, they're rich and famous, and that's what we have to right. aspire to. And, Whereas and, the people with real power and control are literally making the money, literally printing the money into existence. So, money in a, in and of itself is almost meaningless in a system like that. Um, it's just points on the scoreboard, as it were. Um, but uh, so. We have to understand those roots because, throughout the early part of the 20th century, as I say, it developed, and everyone who was anyone was writing about it and talking about it and thinking about it. There was entire scientific so- societies dedicated to the study of eugenics and how do we how do we limit the the poor population and and how do we foster the rich population and d- going as far as creating steril-
2: sterilization laws in the 19 19- early 1900s. Sterilization this was a laws huge to, part the of Kerry the story
0: in the United States, in a number of countries, uh, even here in Japan. I think I remember reading recently the last sterilization took place in the 1990s. Was it here or in Alberta? Anyway. They're
1: sterilizing, no, they're sterilizing people in Africa now with the... Uh, they certainly vaccine. are, but I
0: mean the on-the-books, on-the-records, we-are-going-to-sterilize-you kind of things, not this the programs that they are still running on the entire human population, given I mean, the fact that sperm counts have dropped 50% in the past half century. Yeah, you think there's some sort of sterilization program going on? I think so. Anyway, but the on-the-records books uh, on, uh, of sterilization programs that was passed in many states in the United States, um, for my American friends out there, um, was an exceptionally important part of that program. But that eugenics movement that started in Britain, was fostered in America, all got taken up in Germany, and got mixed up with some other kind of Aryan pure race ideas and you know, those Nazis kind of made it look like a bad thing. Oh, damn them. They made eugenics sound like a bad thing. And everyone equates now eugenics with Nazis. So we have to drop that word. And the eugenicists were explicitly aware of this. They wrote about it openly, talked about it in their journals and in their conferences at the time. Eugenics is a dirty word. We have to change the name. I mean, we're not going to change the idea. The idea is, is still exactly the same. We need to sterilize and limit the poor population. We need to foster the rich population, but we can't say that openly anymore. So, which by 1945,
2: 19, by nineteen forty-five, uh, four hundred thousand Germans were sterilized. So they were well on their way.
1: Well, and the ones that the ones that are able to reproduce, you just Planned Parenthood the hell out of them, right?
0: Exactly right, and Planned Parenthood with Margaret Sanger, who was a eugenicist, talked openly about it. Uh, well documented, but now we hand people awards, the Sanger Award for being, you know, a brave woman or whatever it is, to people like Hillary Clinton. Yay! So it's all it's all this rich tapestry that most people that has been deliberately precluded from our education. No one learns about eugenics anymore. I was I remember a decade ago talking to a person here in Japan who I'd met who had studied. I think to the master's level in genetics. And I was so I, I broached the topic of eugenics. And he's he literally had not even heard the word eugenics before. That's how's that now, possible? And that's incredible. That's horrific. But this is the master's level wait, wait, wait. education. He's a genetic
1: he's a geneticist and
0: hadn't heard of eugenics. He literally wow. asked me, "What's eugenics?" Well, I, <laughs> so I, I this is this have, is the state of education at this point. Um,
3: uh, one doc, a, a great documentary on this topic, and I was actually—I think this was years ago. James brought it up either on my show or some other discussion. Uh, Mafa twenty-one, or I don't know how you pronounce it, but M A F A twenty-one. Yeah, and it's in my uh, it, it, on my YouTube channel on my in my documentary playlist. It's an amazing documentary. I put all these doc. It's amazing how many of these documentaries get pulled. I, I have this playlist on on YouTube where I have a bunch of free documentaries on YouTube, and I'm always adding stuff. And people are always hitting me up. They're like, "Hey, a bunch of stuff's missing. A bunch of stuff's missing." And it's like every time I go in there, it says deleted, deleted, <laughs> deleted. You know, video. And uh, and that's one of them that keeps uh, disappearing. And and I imagine uh, finding other sources. But it's a, it's a great. I mean, it really goes into how eugenics really was just a bullshit science that was used to justify racism, basically, you know, and or classism. Racism, you know, classism,
0: any ism yeah. that propounds the status quo and the rich who are already in charge of the system. Um, but the point of this, in terms of the climate change debate, is that, as I say, in the 50s, they were openly talking about how do we make eugenics into crypto-eugenics, eugenics by another name. And the first... Uh, idea that they hit on was population control. That was the moniker that they they, they embraced and so you get uh, J.D. Rockefeller III and the Population Council. Literally, I mean, again, the oligarch families literally fun- founding and funding these organizations into existence. Um, and the population council was of course concerned about overpopulation in these uh, third world countries too many poor people we need to improve life of course and, if, and this always takes the form of as you mentioned uh, steriliz- covert sterilization programs in africa and india and other places sometimes quite overt but anyway this is the the form True would I go St. Louis Sorry
2: at Igo St. Louis. It's a community here in St. Louis that had biological and chemical
0: testing on it as well as sterilization. Yeah. Like Tuskegee and many 60s? other such uh, ignomies of American medical history. Um, but the point is, from that point, it started to merge with the environmental movement, which was really getting going at that time. You have, uh, was it Rachel Carson, The Silent Spring, and, and things like this were fostering an awareness of ecosystem and we're part of a planet and you know it's a life support system for the planet and we have to balance it. The crypto eugenicists latched onto that. Um, un- I mean, for one thing, reading the tea leaves, seeing which w- direction the wind is blowing, people are involved, in, interested in this movement. It has that kind of grassroots feel to it. But you have literally the World Wildlife Fund and these other, the Nature Conservancy, these big groups that uh, were extremely well-funded because they were founded by the literal card-carrying eugenicists of old, literal eugenic society heads and uh, people like, um, uh, 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 not Julie, uh, not Aldous Huxley, Julian Huxley. Anyway, yeah, UNESCO,
2: yeah. UNESCO, UNESCO, uh, right.
0: literally on uh, helped found WWF along with, of course, the British royalty and uh, Dutch royalty and others behind Royal Dutch Shell, for example. I mean, again, it's literally the oligarchs, literally the eugenicists becoming the environmental movement and pushing well, yeah, that into the. To,
1: you have to, you have to put sheep's wool over the over the evil plan. Of course. I mean, that was Of course. Very this obvious. is an
0: important point. Just because they took over and, and managed and steered this environmental movement doesn't mean that environmentalism or being concerned about the planet is a bad thing. No, on the contrary, it means that is a natural human tendency. We want to take care of the planet and they're going to use that urge by misdirecting that urge into unproductive ways or uh, counterproductive ways like the modern environmental movement, which does not talk about genetic modification, it does not talk about EMF and wireless radiation, and these types of extremely important environmental concerns. No, it is 100% carbon dioxide. Not even greenhouse gases in general, of which carbon dioxide is a tiny fraction. No, carbon dioxide is almost exclusively. And why is that? That is because it is the choke point of the industrial economy. If you want a developed industrial economy, you need carbon to produce carbon dioxide at this point. So if you can demonize that, you demonize the entire economic system as it stands. That is the underlying economic basis for the crypto-eugenic movement that is this hijacked environmental movement. And that's leading us into technocracy, the f- world of the future, where everything will be cracked down on to the point where all of our energy will be controlled and actually used as a currency. That is where this is going. Energy But before will be we jump into
2: technocracy, though, I want to make sure we cover cats, Like, because like you said, under the auspices of these certain organizations, UNESCO, IPCC, et cetera, et cetera, you have all these kind of umbrella organizations. And somebody who was hugely, hugely a part of that was a gentleman by the name of Maurice Strong. If you can break down a little bit who he is and how he was has been huge as far as, as far as facilitating this agenda.
0: If you just read the basic biographical breakdown of Morris Strong, there is no way that you cannot be a little bit overwhelmed. Like, how on earth did this happen? A junior high school dropout. He was from a poor family in rural Manitoba that uh, was suffering from the Great Depression when Strong was born, and he went on to uh, organize the Stockholm Environmental Conference found as the founding director of the united nations environment program he was the secretary secretary general of the rio earth summit he was the founder of the earth council and the earth charter movement the chair of the world resources institute commissioner of the world commission on environment and development i could go on and on like you can literally go on for paragraphs just citing his various titles and and uh, positions and oh yeah one other thing he was a self-made, mil- self-made <laughs> millionaire uh, by his ni- or late twenties in the oil patch in Alberta, uh, with a lot of help from Rockefeller and Rockefeller associates at Standard Oil. Oh, huh. Wow, strange! A literal oil man who made his wealth in the oil trade is the person who is one of the leading lights of late twentieth century environmental movement isn't that strange doesn't that ring any bells for anyone or make any sort of alarm noises it does for me and it should like because the more you look into more is strong the crazier the story is not even talking about his aunt Anna Louise strong who was this communist who consorted with uh, Lenin and uh, and Mao she ended up in China where Morris Strong ended up at the end of his life as he was disgraced in the oil for food scandal and with Iraq and all of that. That's that's all another crazy sidebar to this story, although obviously some important points in there to be made. But Morris Strong and his shepherding of this environmental movement into this international organization or organizations, interlocking organizations, to be presided over by the loving arms of the United Nations <laughs> under this Earth Charter, which is the, uh, has often been compared, I believe it was either by himself or by Mikhail Gorbachev, who was one of the other um, pen writers of the Earth Charter, uh, compared it to the uh, the Ten Commandments. This is the Ten Commandments for the you know, for the modern age uh, about all about how the earth, you know, we have to worship the earth and blah, blah, blah. It's it's craziness. It's, it's something to think
2: about the weird contradiction. Like you said, Maurice strong being the head of uh, Petro Canada while spearheading, you know, basically all of this, this climate change conversation. It, it really is interesting because something not to overlook. And I kind of wanted to start out with this, how you have so many of these oil guards, these oil tycoons who have divested trillions and trillions of dollars of the, from the oil and put that into this new technology, sustainable development, and technocracy, etc. Talk about that if you don't mind. I mean, I don't mean to throw in too much in the in the middle of things, but how these families are already ahead of the game and divesting so much and already invested huge in this new this new evolution.
0: It's an extremely important point because the the oligarchs, as I call them, uh, have known for for some time now that they are hated. That the public understands the game, that the game is for control over energy, and that uh, the oligarchs won it in the late 19th century and have been using that power and money uh, for political influence for the past century uh, in various ways. And the public has identified that and understands it. Big oil is a bad thing. That is not a controversial statement with most people these days, but... Having understood that, well, what is the way to get around that? It is, of course, to lead the anti-big oil movement. (laughs) You get in front of the wave and lead it, and again push it in the direction that you want. So now, uh, as you say, big news: uh, 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 several years ago, the Rockefellers are now completely divested from oil, and look, they've, they've they've unloaded billions and billions of dollars and all their shares and things. Well, they might have some some shares here and there, but, uh, they're, they're mostly diver- divested from oil. Uh, uh, so look, this is good. We're winning, right? The people are right. winning. Big oil is going down, but wait, what's coming along to replace the old big oil monopolies? What, what is, what is the vision of the future that we're being offered? And the vision of the future is increasingly a completely interconnected 5G run smart grid internet of everything, internet of things, in which every object that is manufactured will have its own IPv6 address, and uh, an embedded RFID chip or some other equivalent, that will be constantly communicating data about you and your daily activities to the network, through the network, for the purpose of controlling every single interaction and transaction that every single human being on the earth has. And why is this? It's because... Well, they want to make a better Earth for us, guys. They want to reduce our carbon footprint and make sure that everyone, everyone's happy and they can balance it all. It's nonsense when you really break it down, but it is appealing nonsense because it is being cloaked in this green garb. You care about the planet, right? So you've right. got to give them this kind of control.
2: Pat, you're muted, buddy. Can't hear you, boss. Patrick J., can't hear you.
1: When we when we talk about these these oligarchs divesting billions upon billions of dollars and, and getting into the green movement and everything else, look, ultimately, it's still the peasants around the world that are funding it through higher taxation and everything else on every gallon of gas that we buy, um, all natural gas that we use, uh, heating fuel, everything else that we touch that has anything to do with fossil fuels, we are paying the price for it. And in the end... You know, when I drive across Western Iowa and I see hundreds of giant windmills that are, you know, they're not going to pay for themselves for hundreds of years. They're all going to fall down before they pay for themselves because they're so far away from the grid. They had to pay so much money to tie time together that we're going to end up being charged even more for what they call green energy. When in the end, every person individually should be trying to figure out a way. To put solar panels on their roof, a windmill in their yard, dig their own well, and become completely independent from the system and sell energy back to the grid, which in the end, we would probably be charged tax for not using it in the yes. first place because they have to tax us.
0: It's it's mind boggling the layers of control here. And let's add another layer onto this because of course one of the reasons, one of the reasons that we are told that gas prices just keep rising and rising and rising forever, seemingly, is because, of course, we're running out of oil, right? And how do we know this? Because of Hubbard's Peak. M. King Hubbard came up with the peak oil theory back in the 1950s uh, for Shell. Actually, he was working for Shell as a ge- uh, uh, geologist at the time, and he came up with this theory. Well, look, production increases like this, and eventually we're going to tap out, and eventually production will stop. And the funny thing is about Hubbard's peak and the the famous curve that everyone's seen is that there's actually no data whatsoever behind it. It is a heuristic tool. He says, "Well, it must be like this," and he he arbitrarily set the dates, which, by the way, was two thousand. Right, so. Obviously, there's no more no more increase in oil production since 2000, right? Oh, wait. <laughs> huh, uh, some problems there. But the interesting thing about this is M. King Hubbard, better, best known for Hubbard's peak, peak Oil, was in the 1930s a co-founder of Technocracy, Inc., which was the technocracy movement created by uh, Howard Scott, who is a charlatan, a crank, who came up with this idea that was, very, again, very appealing to the elite, is that... Out of Columbia University. Out of, they they were in the basement of Columbia University for about a year before they got kicked out because it was discovered Howard Scott was a charlatan and didn't have any degree. Mm. <laughs> <As> of, <laughs> so they kicked him out. But he, they, they were in the basement of Columbia, along with IBM, for uh, by the way, which was developing um, some of the latest computer technology in the basement of Columbia, uh, right alongside technocracy at the time. But they were uh, propounding this idea that... We can solve all problems, social, political, economic, everything, as long as you have scientists and engineers and economists and professionals in charge. We don't want politicians, we want professionals, technocrats, to run this system. And the technocrats, if you give them enough data, can do anything. So go back and read the technocracy study course, which was the founding document of Technocracy Inc. It was penned by M. King Hubbard, Hubbard's Peak, M. King Hubbard. And it lists this crazy wish list of things that they basically want to be able to do. 24-7 total surveillance of the economy. Everything that's bought, everything that's sold, everything that's manufactured. How much energy did it take to manufacture it? What was paid for it? Uh, How is it being used? When is it depleted? They wanted total surveillance of everything in the world, which in the 1930s is total crackpot nonsense. What on earth are they thinking? In 2019... Well, let's do it right on time. We can do well, that. So you back know, we Pat got the smart grid. About, we got 5G. We got the Internet of Things. We can yeah. do this, guys. And so here next, we go. Some
2: next level, like what the next evolution is going to go back What Pat was saying about how we're going to be paying for this. This is a whole revamping of the whole economic structure, this post-carbon world. Talk to me, if you will, about basically the essence of this, which is what you just said, a resource based economy versus an energy based economy and how that's going to just change the whole game.
0: So uh, you can go back, uh, I think 2000, I want to say 2014 or so, Christina Figueres, who at that time was high up in the UN uh, CCCC, uh, uh, the UN Climate Change Committee, essentially, um, uh, bureaucracy. uh, She was saying that we are proposing nothing less than a fundamental change in the economic development model of the world. It has... Up to this point, for the last few hundred years, we've been under capitalism. We are going to, for the first time in human history, deliberately and methodically change that development model. Well, what are they changing it into? That's the real question. And as you raise the specter there, it is a resource-based economy. This is the underlying idea of technocracy, in which we don't use currency, you know, pieces of paper printed up by a government out of, based on gold reserves or something, or based on nothing, as is the case these days. what's What's the point of that? No, no, no. We need to make, engineer an economic model in which currency is literally energy. Literally, your currency will be measured in joules, and you will be allotted a certain number of joules per per week, per month, per year, whatever it is, from the technic- the Technate, which was the name of the political institution that the techno- technocrats are going to institute. Uh, they, the engineers and scientists and brilliant people, don't worry, guys, they're specialists, and they don't have any... Any agenda or plan other than your self-interest, of course. And they're going to decide, okay, this is how much energy we're produ- uh, producing and this is how much energy we need. So you're going to get this much energy. This is your allotment. These are your credits. And you can you can spend these in the economy any way you wish, guys. Uh, but and like you said,
2: they, and they know about that. They know how much credits to issue you by the consumption they've been measuring
0: from this your smart meters, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly, and they would never lie about things like that, right? They would no. never, re, per, for, for example, purposefully reduce your carbon rations more and more, your energy rations, so that uh, you basically have a peasant population under the thumb of these techni- technocrats and the people who are puppeteering them. Never, never. But, uh, this is like it, straight well, neo-feudalism. I mean, this is like a is new... It is straight neo-feudalism. Yeah. This is the vision and of and the future. Uh, at the, at a global level. I will, I will lay out the vision of the ultimate end vision of the world and the way it would look under this system, which is to have masses of people packed into these dense urban areas in which, of course, everything is surveilled and controlled 24-7, everything monitored. Uh, Carbon credits are allowed for certain uh, daily activities, but they'll be gradually reduced. So it is essentially a urban peasant population And meanwhile, vast territories of the earth, vast swaths of the globe, the natural resources and abundant wealth of the earth will be administered By the technate they will take over these areas in the name of saving the planet and being good to nature and blah 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 whatever whatever rhetoric they have to put on top of it but those will be no-go zones for the regular public you won't even have access to vehicles that could get you there because this is straight i've
2: said this before on the show bro this is straight Judge Dredd. I'm a comic book fan. Judge Dredd back in the 80s, where everything was mega cities, which you just described, these big urban cities where everybody's got credits and this and that. And anywhere outside it, they call it the cursed earth. Like, oh my God, nobody goes to the cursed earth because clearly that's being monitored by the people who have our best intention. So let me ask you, man, just as so many of these companies, huge, huge companies, got ahead of the curve on, on climate change, et cetera, and divested as a part of this technocracy. How is that with the financial system, blockchain, Bitcoin, When you got the Federal Reserve, you got so many of these huge, huge banks that are already getting their stuff ready for blockchain in a in a basically a cashless society. Are these this is essentially kind of a merging of these from cash to social, et cetera, et cetera. This is just like you said, straight technocracy all day. Yeah,
0: yeah but, but interestingly you say blockchain, Bitcoin, Bitcoin, blockchain, as if they're interchangeable. Well, they're, they're different, they're separate
2: digital concepts. currency being run, run and monitored on this blockchain. So but, I, I mean, it, yeah, you're right. It, it's not mutually exclusive.
0: So I, I detailed that point in an episode of my podcast called the Bitcoin Psyop, where I differentiate between the two and explain why we are being conditioned in our minds to just accept, oh, Bitcoin, blockchain, whatever. Whenever you see blockchain, think Bitcoin. Whenever you see Bitcoin, think blockchain. It's because they want those concepts wedded so that they can introduce all sorts of new ideas, innovative ideas for how they're going to better run the uh, the global financial system based on this amazing new blockchain technology. You've heard about it, guys. You know, Bitcoin or whatever. Yeah, you've heard about it. It's good. It's cool. It's the way of the future. Meanwhile, they're going to completely 100% pervert the uh, original idea of cryptocurrency and what it was meant to do which was to undermine the central banks themselves to present a, uh, a, a, an international method of exchange that does not require or even allow central banks to operate they're going to take that uh, make private blockchains that that are nationally administered, and probably administered by central banks themselves and present that to the public as this is digital cryptocurrency, guys. You can take these wallets that the government will I- issue you and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll use this in the future. This is where things are going. And the, the real danger about that is of course, is that the blockchain uh, is not anonymous. All transactions are monitored in there and everything that happens on there is kept forever. Um, the the difference being on a uh, on a open public blockchain, you can at least have pseudonymity. I mean, an uh, an account number is not a person. In, in inter- it's an entity. an internet
2: right. as opposed to intranet. That's what China doing now. Their blockchain yeah, they want to create national
0: intranets um, where I they think, administer everything. I know.
1: You know, so many millions upon millions of people have become, you know, privy to you know understanding the central banking system and. And the slavery that, that ensues because of it. I think it's gonna to be tough for them to completely control this. Uh, because I mean, really, as you said, there is some sense of anonymity. We're gonna be able to 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 work around it to a certain extent. I think there's you know gonna be some cowboys out
0: there, right? Oh, there always are. There are always cracks in any system, and partly that is intentional because we know that I mean, at the very least, the deep state needs their back doors in the financial system so they can launder money and uh, drug money and all of that. They need those back doors. So they will exist. And a dedicated, informed public that really wants to get out there and do it. There will always be space for pirates of various sorts. Mm But it will be, like in any other age, that will be almost a leper class. You know, oh, you know, you don't want to do that. You want to play ball with the system and KYC and, and sign all the, all the right paperwork and make sure that you're not going to get in trouble with the man. And 99% of the population, if not more, will go along because it's the easiest way to get along.
1: Yeah, and I, th- I think that, you know, ultimately for me, I've, I've already said to myself that, you know, if we fall under full-blown, you know, these, these type of controls... Look, I'm going to be a pirate 100%. I will be, uh, I'm, I'll be, I'll have shipping containers full of AK-47s and ammo coming in, and and selling them with you know with digital currency and everything else. I mean, I, I already foresee myself just not conforming to that, not at all. And let I'm me, sure are millions, make a suggestion of, millions of other people doing the same.
0: Let me make a suggestion. Pirates without borders.com. You can become a pirate today if you want. (laughs) (laughs) All right.
2: So, yeah, I mean, it's it's scary, man. It truly is. I mean, I was just having a conversation with a friend today. Like you said, using all the fuzzy words of, you know, just, you know, you got to love the earth. And you know what I mean? Like you said, it doesn't have to be a binary thing. Of course, you can love the environment without signing on just specifically to co2 because there's so many other conversations from water vapor to the process of the sun i mean we just don't give this much which is weird not weird but it's like when you say co2 it just goes to the heart of how things grow co2 is a part of photosynthesis we expel co2 which obviously is a part of photosynthesis so it's like humans are the problem
0: yeah Stop it, it, interesting so many- i mean there's so many levels to this psyop but one of them is that it's not co2 no one says co2 too they all say right. carbon carbon which is not only scientifically inaccurate, but but it does get to the point that we are carbon-based life forms. And it does, I think, drive home the point that ultimately this is about demonizing humanity. We do not have to conjecture about that. That is yeah. in black and white which in their own words. Which goes back to their
2: original eugenics agenda, Well, quite frankly. Read
0: and the Club of Rome's The First Global Revolution from 1991, where they literally say that, carbon, uh, that the threat of global warming would fit the bill That they are looking for to make humanity the enemy of man it's a crazy statement out there in black and white in 1991 from the club of rome you can go look up i bring it up uh, often because i still don't think you know one person in a million has heard of it but it's right there in black and white they say they want to make humanity the enemy of man and they will use the threat of global warming to do so what what craziness what kind of mentality is that, well, it's the mentality, unfortunately, of people with inordinate amounts of wealth and resources to bear, to bring to bear on the topic.
2: Well, I even saw, what was it? Ocasio uh, Cortez was hanging out in her apartment, drinking wine or whatever, just t- taking questions from people. And she was like, yeah, we probably should not be having as many kids. And I've even seen other just people on the news, like, yeah, we should, that would go a long way to stemming the, you know, carbon pro- carbon dioxide, carbon problem. We would just stop having as many kids, et cetera, et cetera. Which again, you know, code word, you bring out your Captain Crunch Dakota ring. It's like humans are the problem.
0: Yeah, exactly. Insane. And of course, everyone, I always get pushback from people about that. When I pr- point this out, I, I call it carbon eugenics and if you type carbon eugenics into my search bar you can find all sorts of things I've done on this where I've been talking for a decade plus now about sterilization programs and and oh you don't want children children will be bad for the environment they've been pushing this for a while now it's now they're still trying to push it. I don't think it is organically taking off, but they're pushing these groups, uh, the birth strike movement and other things that they're always trying to push this in people's faces. But again, Look, this
2: is kind of like China. China's so ahead of the curve with their 5G and their technocracy right now, their, their blockchain, et cetera, but there was, they had their population you know, only one kid or whatever it was for so long. They had the it's one true.
0: child policy. They got rid yeah. of it, interestingly they never yeah. even it wasn't even exactly a one-child policy for the rural areas there was there was more children allowed and things like that so it was never but they did they did have it and now now they want to develop their economy now they're having more children huh, I wonder how that works that actually again this is a whole other branch of uh, incredibly important fake science that's been pushed on people the overpopulation bunk that has been pushed pushed on us for uh, the better part of 60-70 years now I I hope people would go back and watch my uh, Corporate Report podcast on Paul Ehrlich. Meet Paul Ehrlich, uh, uh, pseudo-scientist, charlatan... That's Obama's guy. (laughs) I can't remember. Obama's (laughs) science guy. But yeah, Paul Ehrlich, who wrote The Population Bomb and really got this going in the public consciousness. Uh, Not only is he wrong about everything. He's predicted so many things. By the year 2000, the UK will be, uh, uh, will, will be over because uh, the, the, the food riots and everything and blah, blah, blah. It's the same old Malthusian nonsense that we've been hearing for the past 200 plus years since Thomas Malthus started uh, mouthing it, but it continues to be promoted. And people like Paul Ehrlich continue to be showered with accolades For their failed predictions, their history of nothing but failed predictions. That's that's
2: Al Gore 101, because like right now we should be all underwater and polar bears would all be dead, ice caps should all be melted, which is funny coming from a guy who had hundreds of thousands of share from his father in Occidental Petroleum Corporation. You know, another person who's, you know, neck deep in oil telling us how to preserve and conserve and climate or carbon credits. That's so funny. His company with his guy, the blood guy, so it's blood and gore, or gore and blood or something. That's literally the guy's Uh, name. Al Gore uh, and this guy's last name. Here's a conspiracy
0: theory for you. uh, Go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, here's a conspiracy theory for you. So, it's been making the rounds again. It was talked about a couple decades ago, but there was apparently press reports at the time, I can't remember which airport, but there was some airport where Al Gore's suitcase got knocked over or something and blood poured out of it. And... It was, apparently, I haven't seen the reports, I I haven't seen them, so I don't know, but apparently this was reported, even AP or Reuters or whatever it was at the time, Al Gore is carrying around bags of blood when he goes traveling, what's this all about? And so... The theory is it has something to do with uh, as we now know millionaires, billionaires have been paying for the blood of young children to be uh, transfused Uh, into them Uh, what's it called? Adrenochrome and all of that right? Yeah. That's an actual science Mm -hmm. Oh no, absolutely, it is but uh, but, so Al Gore apparently got caught out with that a couple decades ago, so here's the big conspiracy theory all, Blood and Gore like literally having a a co-worker or co- investor named Blood completely uh, messes up the search for that particular thing when you try to search about gore and the bags of blood you're just going to get blood and gore kind of stuff from his company
1: no, but the, the point that i wanted to get to is that you know with all of this stuff that you know i've had conversations with and look i've been in the tv industry for many years now you know i, I started out as a professional athlete and a coach and have been involved in the television industry and of course the telev- television industry has a lot of folks who you know lean liberal and it's it's you know the the hatred of of not only Donald Trump but but you know the big the big corporations pol- you know polluting they don't use polluting but uh, when i say listen can we just have a common sense conversation and understand that the other side meaning me as a conservative doesn't want to see pollution all all the way down to from the from the multinational corporations dumping stuff in our rivers, all the way down to somebody throwing a, a wrapper out of the window of their car. I don't want to see it at all. Neither do you. Let's talk about pollution. Let's let's stop with this human caused global warming because now, you know, and I had this conversation just just this week with a lot of people that I work with. They're great people. They're concerned with the environment. But they have been—they have been um, hook, line, and sinker—that it's human caused. And I said, "Look, man, um, you know NASA and a lot of other scientists are saying, you know, we're—they're warning of warning us that we're in the middle of a solar mi- uh, minimum and that we're headed into a mini ice age." Okay, so let's—can we please stop with with the human causes? Maybe we bumped it a little <laughs> bit, but ultimately. Look, the sun is in control of, of our of our atmosphere of our world. That's the way it is. I mean, can we just stop? Well, that my, my-, my, my diesel my diesel truck uh, or my my, my one hundred and fifty uh, V six is is not going to turn the world into an inferno. It it, it is not.
2: But again, that go. I mean, you're you're absolutely right. But that's you're just speaking straight common sense. What what what's going on? And as we know, this is one of those things. Kind of going back to your our World War One conversation. And the Milner Group, they planted that seed, and it took fifteen, twenty, or however long for the world war for World War One to happen. These are one of those generational things that they planted the seed on in the early nineteen hundreds. And again, had to change the framework of eugenics to climate change and stuff. But it's like they're they're never gonna let that go, Pat. I, I, the, I, the, I'm with but you. But it's like this is at the beginning the next of evolution. They're going
1: for do. At the beginning of every show that we do, we need to ask people this: We need to say, "I don't care if you are a full-blown socialist, a communist, a free-market um, believer. I, I don't care what your background is. Do you want the truth? And if you're and if you're presented with the truth, will you at least believe it, or will you just ignore it?" And keep believing what the talking heads and the media will tell you.
0: Can, can I back that up? Because this is the thing that frustrates me the most out of these topics that we're talking about right now. I do um, get you wound up. Which are, <laughs> I, I mean, these are the most important topics facing the world in uh, at the current time and in the foreseeable future. These are going to literally transform the way we live our lives, the economy, everything we can Absolutely. think about. Absolutely. And I consistently get feedback from people. Um, I mean, obviously, I get a lot of pushback. Oh, are you? You're a global warming denier, and blah blah blah. Okay, whatever. The, I mean, I, I get where they're coming from, and uh, you know, they, we're not. Which gonna is have again, a that's part of the language. You're
2: a global global warming denier, which means you might be a Holocaust denier too. But, that denier, yeah,
0: that, exactly. Denier. You know, you know, just use the yes. word. But here's the here's the thing that really gets to me is when people after I've laid out the case and I've done so many videos talking about how, what is the average global temperature? How is that derived? You know, where does this come from? What what data sets are being used? How are those data sets manipulated? I've gone into this in so much detail. Eventually, sometimes I'll get this feedback from people. Well, James, even if it is just a big hoax, it's a good one because it's getting people off of big oil, right? No first of all what do you think it is that i do i do not just Oh, that's a lie, but it's a good lie, so we better just go along with that lie. No, I don't do that. That is against everything that I believe and all of my core principles. And secondarily, if you don't understand the lie and the purpose, the reason why they are constructing this lie, you are going to be led directly into the wrong, fake, phony solution that they're pushing you, they're pushing society into. That's the point of this. And people who want a convenient lie... Uh, that that really annoys me
2: but that again that's part of the program Wrong that takes
0: it. generations
2: and years and years you have these like these millennials now who god bless their soul they're, they're you know they're of that kind of no we we just want to genuinely save the earth not knowing the inside baseball going back to what we're talking about eugenics they uh, th- some of them might know but they can't possibly
1: and still support this and hey, be like Rich, yeah
2: we're breaking free from from big oil like no r- dude. sorry
1: ricky tried jumping in a couple times ricky uh, what what did you have to say I, I I kind
3: of forgot, but, but but one thing I did want to get into a, a little bit, which just to bring up before we run out of time, is I mean, so there there's obviously I think one huge thing, and James hits on a lot. I think it's very important is that this idea that the science is settled, and you hear that with vaccines, you hear that with uh, climate. Uh, they use climate denier the same way they use conspiracy theorists. It's like they're right. they're just you know basically if you're climate denier, you might also be talking, you know, the next conversation might be about the 9-11, Holocaust. or might they just yeah, the Holocaust, they'll earth. pigeonhole you in that. And I, and I think it's a that. huge issue. But one thing, you know, I also have a a, a little bit of or at least some uncertain about if, you know, like this thing, I, I think the science is unsettled in both directions. I think we're not a hundred percent sure the effect we have on earth, and we're not a hundred percent sure we've any effect. And I think almost anybody who's too confident i mean if you look at both sides of the arguments and and since we've decided to have this uh this podcast i've listened to a lot of climate debates you know somebody's pro you know climate change or uh uh and the other one's a denier or thinks it's a hoax or whatever and if you look at all the statistics and all the science that they're referring to none of it is really good and none of it is really you know some of it i mean like you said like james has said some of the predictions have been so unbelievable. I, I remember hearing David Wallace on like a Jerogan podcast talking about in like, you know, just in the, I forget how many years that like we're going to 50% of, of California is going to be on, you know, on fire, you know, and all this stuff is going to happen and all, you know, and it's like, you know, I think that you guys are definitely, you know, inflaming that. But you, I also understand that cars, for example, like if I turn my car on and I keep it running in the garage, I'm going to die if I'm in the car, if I'm in that garage. So, that has to, you know, that obviously isn't good for the environment. I also understand the corporations, you know, putting stuff into the water to save money. I mean, you look at the history of fluoride, for example, you know, it was a, a great way of uh, saving some money. Let's convince people it's good for you. And um, and, and that's not good either. And I don't. And the problem is that it, it's become such a political issue where similar to like if you're anti-war, you you must be, uh, you know, not patriotic. You might you must be anti truth Exactly. You must not, it's like same thing where like if you have any actual open discussion about this and you question any of the science or any any of this stuff all of a sudden you're anti environment you know and let's be honest we're not that there is an argument made that if you eliminated humans from the earth it would be better off you know but uh but I also think that they're justifying you know they're demonizing uh this stuff for for the purpose of you know financial gain and, and social control and, and you know like everything we've been talking about like you know it, it's not a good lie because they're, all they're doing is they found a way of controlling you at, at one point it was with big oil and then they're finding a new way of controlling it they're just like okay things are transitioning for we sure can't, we can't ride this horse forever we know this is gonna end eventually so they're just they're basically like really good business men who are like hey we see the market changing, we have to go with the market. So it's like, we know we can't milk this cow forever, that oil can't be the way we control uh, people forever. So now they're finding other ways. And this is, and this is the thing is, so regardless what you believe about the science, you know, or if uh, humans are having an impact on the earth and and the climate or whatnot, I mean, you you guys have all talked to uh, Randall Carlson, really knowledgeable in in the history of the earth warming and cooling and stuff like that. I mean, right. it's quite, you know, you talk to people like him, they understand this is that does happen. And be, before humans had factories and cars, like that that did happen. we we know pretty well. Well
2: and there's, there's the geo geoengineering side of it, too. It's like, you know, when you it's springtime, and we've just been ripped here in the Midwest with floods and tornadoes. It's spring. It's summer. That's kind of what happens. But if you go back, it's not really that much more frequent. But to just gauge it just on its own, just the natural weather, we really can't do that right now because of what we now know they're doing to the weather. They're geoengineering things to possibly create storms.
1: that's, That's the major point right there is what I've been thinking the whole time this entire spring is that I have hardly seen the sun this entire spring. I feel like I'm in Seattle, but with thunderstorms and tornadoes. And I can tell you, look, there has been many springs where we've had tons of storms, tons of water. This one's a little unprecedented, but I do recently recall that Bill Gates and several others talking about that they're going to be seeding, they're going to be spraying, they're going to be blocking the sun's rays. Um, you know, a lot of that stuff was was going to be picking up steam. And it seems to me that, look, does it coincide? Is it mere coincidence? Potentially, but I can tell you that that uh, I haven't seen a sun a whole the sun a whole look, lot in I, Iowa. And and look, if they want to claim, uh, they've already admitted that they're doing it even more now. That they were picking it up, as I said, it's working. I haven't seen the sun. It hasn't been warm here in Iowa. Global warming isn't Look, check, happening. Check my Facebook page,
2: my home page. It'll probably be gone by most people listen when most people listen to this. I was raised in Davenport, Iowa, not far where Pat is now. I was raised probably, how far am I from the river, Pat? Maybe 10, 15 miles?
1: Someone no, posted not even a video, that, right?
2: Not even that. Someone posted a video today who now live across the street from where I grew up. There was literally. Am- I'd say a foot of water rolling down Colony Drive. I lived there my whole life, nineteen twenty years. Never even there was a field that got flooded every once in a while. It was an it was
1: on hey prim, river. I'm sorry. The I really I've
0: river. literally got to get going out the door here. Um, so yeah. let me just a- end with three things, and then you guys can wrap up. One uh, for geoengineering and its relation to climate change. I would suggest people look at a video I did a few years ago. Geoengineering: the real climate change threat. Secondarily, parenthetically, I'll just say, um, Ricky, uh, your closed uh, garage door analogy suggests an equivalency between carbon monoxide and carbon dioxide, yeah. and that, of course, is, I think, part of the con- the engineered confusion around these issues. But uh, thirdly, yes... Uncertainty. There is uncertainty, absolutely. But just saying there is uncertainty gets you labeled a denier at this point and locks off the conversation. One of the fundamental figures in all of climate science is called equilibrium climate sensitivity, which is a lot of jargony nonsense for essentially if you double the amount of carbon dioxide that is in the atmosphere right now, how many degrees... Fahrenheit for my American friends, Celsius for the rest of the world. How many degrees uh, Celsius will the, the the global temperature rise? That is that is the heart, the heart of this uh, agenda that they're trying to push on us. And not only is there great uncertainty in that figure, but that uh, that figure has been drifting downward and downward and downward in each IPCC report. Every time they come out with a report, it's a little bit lower. Oh, you know, we thought the doubling of CO2 would would be this much warming. Actually, it's a lot less warming and they keep dialing that downward, but it continues to have this big range. Well, it can go from, you know, one one degree to 4.5 or whatever it is. So let's, let's assume it's 4.5 or whatever it is. Again, this is the trick that they are pulling. A- as if carbon dioxide is the thermostat for the Earth, and they can dial it right. up or dial it down with precision accuracy. <laughs> Total... Lunacy. All with a price tag, my friend. All, all with a price, the price tag. tag. It's all about the money. It's all about the Benjamins. That's what it keeps coming down to. I got to go, but and thank control, you, guys. For and control. Me thank you, get man. This James the Corbett,
2: the CorbettReport.com, man. That was awesome. Thank you. Peace, James. Thank you so Take much. James, James. again.
0: Available now from CorbettReport.com. Oil. The 19th century was transformed by it. The 20th century was shaped by it, and the 21st century is moving beyond it. But who gave birth to the oil industry? And what are they planning to do with that power in a post-carbon world?
3: to an oil fortune join the
1: divestment drive. There is a price to carbon in their future. The negative impact of population growth. That is important not only for the planet, it is important for the
0: business. What do you see as the biggest challenges in in conservation?
1: The the growing
0: human population. How and why Big Oil conquered the world. Watch the documentary for free or purchase a DVD copy at corbettreport.com slash bigoil.